Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we are joined by your very goodest friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. How are you dudes doing? Uh, apparently, I'm doing goodest. <laughs> yeah, I might be doing gooder, but that's debatable. Or well, well, okay, well, good. That's all. Uh, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> One, two, three, go, go. Um, I win. All right. Uh, it is good to be with y'all. We are continuing uh, through um, the Faith Once Delivered document put out by the John Wesley Institute um, back in 2022. Um, this document was a gathering uh, of comes from a gathering of 50 Wesleyan scholars who gathered together to talk about um, all things John, uh, Wesleyan theology, and they published this awesome document called The Faith Once Delivered. And you can actually download this for free from nextmethodism.org or now... Seedbed um, has a published version of this that you can get in hard copy or in ebook. Is that right, Jim? You were telling That's me that's correct. That. It's a beautiful edition, and uh, you should get some get some uh, copies of it. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I think I think there's a little endorsement in there that people people might mm-hmm. want to know about. Might, yeah. might recognize and, a name in there. Yeah, yeah. In fact, here's here's what I think I'm going to do. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, just release for the first time ever in audio format. The official podokesis oh. endorsement Ooh. of the published Ooh. version of the faith Ooh. once Watch delivered. Out. Watch <laughs> out! Watch out! Are you ready? Yes. All right. The faith now. once delivered delivers rich and readable, scholarly and accessible. This book brings many of the best Wesleyan scholars to the forefront for this beautiful and practical discussion of Wesleyan theology. Good for the pastor, church member and podcaster, it is a must-have resource that will have you shouting, yes, grace will change the world. Jim Morrow. <laughs> Jim Morrow, we, co-host of the Podakesis podcast. <laughs> don't, uh, say, don't say that we've never uh, never gotten ourselves anywhere because we got ourselves uh, three lines of a book. You know uh, what I that, just saw? You know what, what I just saw? What? The sales on Seedbed just spiked. Just spiked. They did. You're I just mean, now. I mean, like, this hasn't been released now. yet, like, but it that did was just an now. Amazing... <laughs> that is a review. Uh, oh, we're, uh, we're, that's uh, the power uh, of the Podakesis podcast. We're y'all. sharing <laughs> review space and blurb space there with uh, the likes of Steve Hoskins, professor of church history at Trevecca wow. Nazarene University. Suzanne True. Nicholson, my dear friend, New Testament professor at Asbury University, and... Uh, Kim Reisman, the executive director of World Methodist Evangelism. My goodness, what a wide cast of. Let wonderful me ask you: how, how in the world did you get? A- <laughs> do you want? Can I? You want me to tell you the story? Sure. Do you yeah. want to do this on air? Let's go. <laughs> uh, Doctor Danker was yes. here in Albany, Georgia, yes. with a partnership through Porterfield Methodist, which is yep. our sister church down the street, uh, and we wanted to put <clears throat> together an event. Uh, that would just expose lay people uh, to some of the beauties of the Wesleyan faith. It was actually that week was the genesis of the School of Methodism that John Wesley Institute is now going to tour around the country and will bring here to Albany once we can nail down a date and time. Um, And so Ryan and I had dinner a couple times— yeah, really. And so we, uh, he called me on his way out of town one morning, said, meet me up. at." He calls it his coffee shop down here, Cornerstone Coffee for you Albany folks, <laughs> um, and said, can we try to get some things together? So we became close. He texts me one day and said, hey, Jim, would, y'all, would you do a blurb for 
the print version. I said, yeah, when do you want it? He said, five minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so uh, five minutes later, as I'm walking through the hallway between my office and our staff meeting, I sent it to him via text message. And I didn't know that he got it until I bought the copy. That's amazing. That's amazing. Nice. That's so good. That's a great story. That's my only claim to fame. There you go. Hey. And now you're a published author. Well, it's, it's it, vicariously, it's our I do claim this to fame yeah. for you. It's well, for, this is a Trinitarian. Um, oh, um, wow. Well, yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. <laughs> claim to fame, all three of us, through you. And I apologize yeah, if that Potichesis was- uh, inspired by the Trinity. <laughs> I mean- I'm not going. It's okay. true. It's probably. I mean, there's more three of us. Likely, it's true. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Um, <laughs> before we get into some heretical moments, uh, <laughs> we probably need to uh, come back to the wor- world. Heresy of- warning. Heresy <laughs> warning. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna clip that out, and we're gonna play that. Um, we're gonna put it on a sound box. We're gonna play that nice. randomly. That's gonna be my <laughs> ringtone uh, for each of you guys. Yeah, we'll start, like we'll interrupt the theme song for the podcast every episode from here on out, and just uh, heresy warning, heresy warning. And Brett um, is finding this far more amusing than it is, which makes me so happy. The, the, I got the I got the alarm going off in my head, and that's just throwing me off. Okay, oh. let's pull it back. All right, we can't um, we can't pull it back. We can try, but not. it's not yeah, going to happen. It's not gonna- all right, okay. let's talk about uh, grace, prevenient grace and prevenient grace. And uh, why don't you, Alan, just take it from here and let me go myself. I will do that. How about you <laughs> mute yourself? Okay. <laughs> go ahead. We'll mute ourselves. Read the book. All right. Prevenient grace. We're going to do three paragraphs here. 116. The Wesleyan tradition affirms the doctrine of original sin, even a doctrine of total depravity, uh, which humanity after the fall is totally corrupted. Given the broad and devastating consequences of sin, God must take the first step and restore basic human capacities so that we might hear his call. The grace that makes this possible is prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. It is God's initiative. 117. Before you you read 117, let me just say this little little sidebar here. I thought we told you to mute. You did, and then I unmuted. So, Okay. All right. (laughs) So, um... It needs to be said that, um, and and I've seen this on social media, on Twitter or X, and you know, whatever it's called, and and other places in discussions about you know uh, theology, evangelical theology. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, the founder of the Wesleyan movement around the world, did teach and understand the biblical witness of original sin. There just seems to be this movement afoot among some uh, within uh, certain theological circles to question the idea of original sin, to to think it was an invention. I've actually seen this, where that it was an invention of St. Augustine, that the biblical witness never even talked about original sin. There was no uh, proof of original sin in Scripture um, um, before even Augustine started talking about it. Um, and so, that that's just wholly untrue, first and foremost. But we also just need to understand that John Wesley, this great uh, uh, Anglican priest, this reformer of the Anglican Church and and the founder of the Methodist movement, um, one of the things he believed in so heartily and taught is the idea of original sin. And we also know this to be true because central to John Wesley's preaching was salvation. And so, what are we being saved from? 
And so um, I, I just wanted to throw that out there that um, it, it, I don't I think it does a disservice to uh, Wesleyan scholarship when people uh, assert that Wesley never you know that 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 question the theology of original sin. So anyway. Thank I you, do want to lift up, let's lift this up too. Um, we talked in the last episode about the um, neo-Calvinist tulip. I guess it's yeah. Calvinist too. It's a vast reduction of Calvin's writings, but we won't right. go there. Yeah. And the first is total depravity. Yeah. Uh, and what they're talking about is that there is no ability within humanity to make right. any response. There's nothing right. good left in humanity. And the assertion for the predestinationist is that that is why... Um, God, grace is irresistible because we have no concept and ability uh, to do anything. So God saves us. Well, Wesley really sits in the same concept. There's no sovereignty issue to argue here that we have total depravity. But what happens instead is that God makes that move that enables us to respond. So if you really think about what uh, Arminian, not Arminian, but Arminian theology and Calvinist theology argue, it's not the mosaic it's just the borders right it's just the very edge where you say we can't respond and we say yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. god however has done a work that enables us to respond yeah so you're really you're not arguing about the whole picture just the frame just the Mm -hmm. edges you're not talking arguing about the property just the property line it's what uh william abraham would would say is uh arminians wesleyan arminians are not Free will advocates were freed will advocates. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Grace frees us to be able to respond. All right. So, Alan. Okay. I can continue before I was rudely interrupted. Um, <laughs> 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 paragraph 117. Uh, provenient grace comes in two forms, both free and cooperative. Uh, cooper- Did I'm reading that right? Cooperant. No. Uh, Cooperant grace. Yeah. Well, that's the last time I fuss about being interrupted. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're interrupted grace. and we're prepared. Yes. All right. By no, free grace, by free grace, God of his own power restores four faculties, making humanity responsible and therefore redeemable. These restored faculties include one, conscience, two, a measure of freedom to receive the ongoing grace of God, three, knowledge of the moral law and four, knowledge of the basic attributes of God. This is a universal benefit that everyone receives. Provenient grace invokes our cooperation and is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit through these four restored faculties. These overtures are expressed in the form of convincing grace when the Holy Spirit uses the moral law and our failure to live by it to lead us to repentance. This convincing grace can be rejected. 118. Uh, Provenient grace is the beginning of salvation, and everyone is to a certain degree on the path of redemption, but provenient grace is just the beginning of the restoration of the image of God in humanity. On its own, provenient grace is not redemptive. It is the Father's call and His enabling us to respond to enter into that saving relationship with Him. So one of the questions I, I I wrote down after reading these paragraphs was can can God's grace be rejected? And on one oh, hand, yeah. we talked a little bit about this in um, the last episode. So on one hand, on the cooperative side of things, yes, it can be right. We we can reject it. We can say no to God. 
On the other hand, there is the understanding that God gives his grace. He, he, he pours out his grace upon all of humanity universally. Yeah. Whether they like it or not, like it is, it is, it is, it's what frees us up to be able to make a decision, to make, to, 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 to be able to move forward or not, um, into understanding God. So the idea, so let's go back to, uh, original sin and that original corruption of humanity. The idea behind that is that humans, because of sin, are so corrupted that we can't even imagine God. We can't even think of God. Like he, the idea of God or something bigger than us is completely out of our reach. And so God breaks through by his grace to begin revealing himself to humanity um, through general, you know, general uh, real, um, uh, revelation, revelation, you know, like um, a sunrise or a beautiful flower or a natural bird's law and natural such. law, you know. Um, but then there's also very specific revelation, you know, scripture, Jesus, um, t- teachings of the church and that, that type of thing. So, um, uh, God, but that's a work of, that's God being the first mover towards us. And now, then we're freed up to respond either yes or no from that point on. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, and so can we reject grace? I mean, you're, you're, we're talking big, big terms. I mean, you can choose to respond negatively towards it. Yes. And you can, choo- you can choose, like, in the same way we can, um, goodness, we can choose to go to the buffet, but we can just have the salad, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. that's not a good point, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a sense, well, yeah, I don't know. Every analogy breaks down. I was going to take that somewhere. Well, but. my analogy was uh, God unlocks the door and then we can choose whether or not to open it. I don't know if that's... Well, like he, also, a, he, also, he also shows us that there's a door. There is a door. See, that's the, the thing. Right. Would, yeah. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's just a sense that um, can you reject... I mean, those, those are really loaded terms. Um, yeah. God's grace simply is. We talked about this in the last episode. Mm. Um, yeah. There are things that are ir- irresistible in terms of like the fact that you breathe is yeah. is an act of God's grace because the one of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually a quotation that Paul co-ops from a Greek philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Mm-hmm. So you you can resist that if you want towards death, but it, you're just going to have that's going to happen. Now, as far as further invitations into the redeemed self. Um, there's ways to say yes to that and say no to that. But that ability to say yes or no uh-huh. is, in fact, something that God does. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have y'all seen on, <laughs> maybe maybe y'all don't spend as much time on uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter as I do. Um, <laughs> but there, <laughs> I can't call it X. I mean, yeah. goodness, don't, don't try... Don't try to Google that. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. What a exactly. horrible marketing yeah. thing. Yeah. Elon Musk, if you're listening, and I know you are. We know um, you are. Yes. Just fix yourself. Um, but there are so many arguments like on, on Twitter about between Calvinists and Arminians and Wesleyans. I wonder if these folks have anything to do. Well, they, that just so, Twitter is not the place for theological but, debates, although no, it is but the you place have, that it, is happening. 
it is the place that's happening. Yeah, we have, but it, it makes us actually have to talk about the distinctions in a more sober manner in places like this and in our churches, yeah. because <laughs> those conversations can get so viral and get put around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you Google conversations and you're looking for answers, these are the kinds of things that come up mm-hmm. that we have to have sound and reasoned responses out there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people are just going to do what they used to do with uh, John MacArthur on the TV or the Christian bookstore, which mm-hmm. is to take the simplest and most well-explained answer mm-hmm. instead of the right one. Right. So, I, I loved I loved these four faculties, right? So, by free grace, God, in His own power, He restores our faculties. Like, this is just kind of the normal human um, faculties, this universal, right? Is that That's how I'm reading this, is this the universal restored faculties— Conscience, yeah. Conscience. Um, a measure of freedom to receive ongoing grace of God, uh, knowledge of the moral law, and knowledge of um, the uh, uh, knowledge of the basic attributes of God. And it makes me wonder. I, I'm thinking of a, a passage of scripture. If y'all excuse me, I'm gonna pick up a Bible here, and because um, I'm thinking of a um, well, there, what's the one? Um, all of creation um, as testifies. I think that's. Um, yeah, yeah, if you look up Psalm 19, for example, you're going to get this wonderful description of how um, nature testifies, and mm-hmm. then it transitions in the second half and how a more specific revelation comes directly from God through the law. Yeah, Brian Russell talks about that in multiple places, uh, most recently being his, um, remind me the title of the newest book that I love so much. Astonished Surprised, by the Word. Astonished, astonished by the by Word. The word yeah. He's got a whole section on that. So, I uh, one of the passages... Um, uh, one of the passages of Scripture out of the book of Romans, letter of Romans, that continues to um, – it baffles me, but it's also – there's something very beautiful about this. I think speaks to this kind of natural grace, or not natural grace, this free grace, this free grace. And um, y'all tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Um, so, by the way, Potecumens, this is uh, this is in real time. I had this thought – pop up as Jim and Alan were talking. So what, is, how is that different from any other thing we well, ever fair, say? Well, fair <laughs> enough. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. So um, I've always turned to this passage when people ask the question, um, what happens to people who've never heard the gospel? And so this, I've always turned to this, and I don't know if it's right for me to do that or not, but it just seems to speak to this. Anyway, it says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires— they are a law to themselves, and even though, they do not, even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of Christ Jesus. Um, it's interesting. He's, he's speaking uh, by the gen- about the Gentiles here, uh, it seems, those who don't have the law of Moses basically written on on there, or do, does it have the the specific law of Moses before them? Um, you know, so how 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 um, how are they judged? Like if they if they pass, they don't have Jesus, they don't have the law. How do they pass? And it seems like well, they have a law written on their hearts, is what Paul gets at. So that's getting to this idea of a restored faculty, the conscience, the moral law, the the um, the basic attributes of God. That's kind of where I'm seeing this connection. I could be completely wrong in what Paul is getting at there. 
No, I mean, I would, I would probably say, hey, consider when you're reading that, that he's not talking about Gentile, non-Christian, non-believing people, but he's talking about Gentile believers who don't follow uh, fair uh, enough. Yeah. The, 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 the law. But the, but the idea is, the idea is there um, that maybe the question what happens to non-believers, that's a great, uh, or people who don't hear the gospel is a great thing to think through. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could go tell them instead, but... Um, I th- Andrew Thompson has in his work, I'm uh, reading through the means of grace in his section about baptism has a conversation about that. Um, and there's a sense of, well, we will be accountable for what's revealed to us. Um, and we may not be accountable for that, which we are unable to be aware of. All right. Yeah. Which is, uh, that that's kind of how I had been reading. And yeah, you're right. Gentile Christians, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, I need to th- I need to rethink about my thinking on on Romans two. But I think that- all of us who read Romans need to rethink our thinking all the time because it's <laughs> it's just it's just so easy to for us to yeah to assume everything means justification and salvation is the moment of justification versus the whole thing. Right. Well, and it's interesting because in Romans one, he seems to re- maybe it's even a better idea because Romans one tends to be more of all of humanity. And, mm-hmm. and Paul Paul really pulls no punches on that one, where he's like, they were without excuse. <laughs> you know, there is no excuse. Where is God? Well, here, you know, you've yeah. And so he gets in all all of that. So um, again, I guess in that sense, Paul is speaking to the fact that God has revealed Himself in these natural or you know through the natural uh, um, order of things and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Okay. All right. Enough of, enough Bible study for today. Sorry about that. Um, How dare you pull out your Bible? Uh, Bible, Bible study is cool. I like it. I'm for it. Are <laughs> you, you for it? I'm for it. You yeah. want to talk about repentance? Uh, I think we need to. Yeah. There's a lot that I need to repent it's from. Necessary. So let's move on. Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah. All right. Uh, one night, we're going to do three of them. 119, Ooh. 120, 121. Repentance is at the heart of the Wesleyan message, calling sinners to turn from sin and brokenness to wholeness in Christ. In 1777, uh, when Wesley recounted the beginnings of the Methodist revival, he observed two or three clergymen of the Church of England began vehemently to call sinners to repentance. So important was repentance that Wesley referred to it as one of the three main doctrines of Methodism, along with faith and holiness. He called repentance the porch of religion. 120, beyond this, an examination of the three basic rules of the early Methodist societies, doing no harm, doing good, and employing the means of grace, reveals the fruits of genuine repentance. It also reveals the very purpose of Methodism, its core, its identity, its core identity, so to speak. Put another way, Methodism has always been about repentance, transformation, turning around, openness to new life, that in the end can lead to an embrace of the gospel. Those who remain stubbornly opposed to personal change, making their own experience the center of all values, will never embrace such wisdom. 121. Because the need of sinners is twofold, repentance is also twofold. We are called to repent of sinful acts and the reality of a corrupted nature. The first repentance, termed legal, is among other things the conviction and repentance of the sins that we have committed. The second repentance, called evangelical, is a conviction and repentance of the sin that lingers, the inbred sin that remains even in believers. The second repentance highlights the importance of a second work of grace for all who have been born of God. Redemption is not accomplished in one grand stroke. Mm. Mm. 
So um, he says in uh, 119 that repentance is the porch of religion. Mm. The porch of religion. What in the world does Wesley mean by that? Yeah. So <laughs> that's... Yeah. Um, well, so Wesley had, had this idea of, yeah. of the house. Yeah. Um, being a way to describe um, basically true religion. What say what now? He, the house described true religion. Yeah. Um, so kind of on the porch is, is, is the way of we're thinking about repenting. Um, it's like uh, hanging out with your neighbors down the street on the porch. You're thinking about yeah. going inside the house. Yeah. Um, then the doorway, opening the door and walking in is believing in Christ, repenting, um, but not really, not yet fully living into all that God wants you to, to, to have. And then inside is the house is you've repented, you believed, and you're learning um, all about what it means to, to live in God's house and to be a member of his family. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So repentance is the porch. And, and well, when and, you're and in the house. And when you're in the house, whose rules do you live by, right? Like who's, you know, yeah, you, you don't make up your own rules when you move into the house, right? Well, you it's, also, it's also like, it's also like, hey, you can feel at home in in the yes. heart and house of God yes. um, as well as follow his rules. Yes. Um, you, you cannot even get to the house without getting on the porch and you can't get into uh, what Wesley would call true religion, which is basically the full full salvation through Christ, you can't even get there without repentance. Right. Um, yeah, right. There's just nothing nothing that can happen. Um, that's the first step. And he will. And he will. Uh, and I'm trying to see if he does is record in this document. Repentance and profession of faith are not the same thing. Mm. They happen together. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But they're not the mm-hmm. same thing. So you could repent. So and repent and believe. Turn. Right. Yeah. You could seek to turn. And you could turn away from some of those things, but if you're not turning towards mm-hmm. uh, and yielding over to profession of faith in Christ, then then you're you're only partway there. So that's just, that's why you're on the porch instead of like in the doorway. Yeah. It's not it's not just turning away from the bad things, but it's turning towards the 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 good thing, which is right, right. which is a relationship with the Father. Which was Jesus's first sermons, right? That was the first thing he says in all the Gospels, basically. Right. Re- Repent, Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, Man, that's so good. That porch, that house analogy is a very helpful analogy. Um, uh, um, Phil Talon in his, uh, is, is it um, Absolute Basics of the, the Wesleyan? Christian faith. Is it the Christian faith? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the it, it may be in the Wesleyan way too, but it's in the it's in the Absolute Basics of the Christian faith. Christian faith, faith um, does a great job with that, um, with that uh, analogy. Um, what about this idea in 121? Now, you know, um, uh, Wesley and I mean in the Tfod in one twenty um, talks more about um, the the Methodist the early Methodist movements and societies and all and how they dealt with this idea of repentance and, and but in one twenty one um, the paragraph goes into a uh, the need of sinners is twofold therefore repentance is also twofold right and so um, it's dealing we need to repent from our sinful acts the things that we do um, but also um, uh, uh, which would be a legal issue, right? So, um, it's, it, what 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 the TFOD is getting at, what Wesley would teach, is um, 
justification, repentance would be a, um, a legal thing, our legal uh, standing before God. Um, and then we will move into um, kind of the relational side of things um, with the new birth. And so he says here, um, uh, the repentance is twofold. Uh, we are called to repent of our sinful acts and the reality of a corrupted nature. Um, and so uh, the first term is legal, uh, among other things, the conviction and repentance of sins. And the second, is, uh, the second repentance is evangelical. Um, it's a conviction and repentance of the sin that lingers, the inbred sin that remains even in believers. So once we give our lives to Christ, once we repent of our sin, there is still the inbred sin, right? The, the, the sin that lingers within us, which moves us in a little while, in, a couple, in an episode or two, we're going to talk about sanctification, which sanctification, the idea of sanctification and doing things like being in a band deals with those, right? The lingering sins. Is this part us. of like, is this part of the image, the marred image? Is this still, we're still restoring the image? Um, whereas legal is the acts of sin and then this is still like the image that still needs to be restored. Right. And legal, a legal repentance would be like, I've gone to the law clerk and expunged my record, and yet I still feel guilty for what I've done, or I still have to deal with the social consequences mm -hmm. of the action that I've done. So, um, you are legally you know, clean. John Wesley has, in fact, a whole sermon or two. He preaches, it's literally called On Sin in Believers. Right. That's right. Um, and what he says there is, in the believer, sin does not reign, but it does remain. Uh, Charles Wesley will carry out this thought when he says um, that Christ breaks the power, power of canceled of sin. Yes. So there's canceled sin that will still have power. And we can see that um, because we've built up a lifetime of habits and bent toward that while we are no longer, it no longer reigns over us, it does remain in us. And, and we have a choice whether to let it sit on the throne again. Um, you can think of one of the easiest things to think of is any kind of addictive behavior, whether it's to a substance or to a, a habit. Like we are set free from it. We have the power to break free from it, but it has its roots have gotten so deep within us that it takes time to root it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that ongoing repentance is like we are no longer under the sentence. Uh, it no longer has final authority over us. But as we, quote, work out our salvations, salvation, as Paul writes in Philippians, we are dealing with uh, untangling the broken chains of sin that no longer has power. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Untangling. Oh, that's good. That is good. So, so let me ask this, and y'all can help me with uh, thinking about the order here. So let's go back to the order of salvation, right? So we have um, this idea of prevenient grace. Uh, but then... And then we have repentance. Is there? But Wesley talks of con, is it convicting grace? Is that right? Convicting or convincing? Yeah. Convincing? It, it, convicting? Both. It's an yeah. act. It, it's an act of God's grace whereby the Holy Spirit begins to awaken us to our distance, our yeah. fallenness, and our state. Yeah. Um. And and that could happen. It's not so much that it needs to happen in order, and it's not so much that it's right. a separate kind of grace. Right. It's just that at some point. Um, we will be awakened to what we are, and that will convict or convince us, uh, and then we respond to that as well. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, if I may, I would like to um, quote Wesley here 
um, and uh, on on the role of preaching, um, and when we get to the issues of repentance, the role of preaching with repentance. Um, the truth of the matter is, calling people to repent can be can seem it's not comfortable because. To call people to repent is to speak to their hurts, is to speak to their brokenness, is to speak to the things, to their sins, right? And so, uh, it, it is not a comfortable, it's not a comfortable thing, but it is a, it is a wholly necessary thing for preachers. Now, I'm speaking, I know we have a lot of different type of listeners, so this is primarily to my preacher, our preachers that, that are out there. Um, and so Wesley writes, and this is in his language, so I'm going to try to get through this without tripping over it too much. And this is quoted in uh, William Abraham's Wesley for Armchair Theologians, which is a fantastic book, by the way, and easily good accessible. It's a, good read. it's a good read. And it's easily accessible for uh, laity, um, um, but it's, it's really great. So Wesley writes on the role of preaching. He says, why, this is the very thing I assert that the gospel preachers, so-called, corrupt their hearers, they vitiate um, their taste, that means they, um, they, uh, they foul up their taste, so that they cannot relish sound doctrine and spoil their appetite, so that they cannot turn it into nourishment. They, as it were, feed them with sweetmeats, it's like candy, junk food type thing, till the genuine wine of the kingdom seems quite insipid to them. They give them cordial upon cordial, which make them all life and spirit for the present. But meantime, their appetite is destroyed, so they can neither retain nor digest the pure milk of the word. And Abraham will speak to this when he says, within the many means of God, um, um, Within the many means God had set in place, Wesley was adamant at this point about the importance of preaching. Good preaching at this stage focused on the law of God. Wesley had no patience for the kind of insepid lemonade that some preachers were tempted to to ladle out in order to comfort the hearer. And so, it is incumbent upon us as preachers of the gospel to call people continually to repentance of their sin. Um, and I, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I think that, it, I, I know it, it's uncomfortable. I know that it has been misused within pulpits around the, you know, whatever. I get that. People have had bad experiences, but, but bad experience do not make for a whole uh, calling to go away. And our call as preachers is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to call people to repentance so that they can experience the life-changing power of God and be transformed into the people they were created to be. So preachers out there, preach the gospel and call people to repentance. <laughs> yeah, and, and why might it be hard? A couple of reasons. Um, it's all about the heart of the preacher. What, what are you trying yes. to do? Yes. What are you trying yeah. to do? Um, we can easily call people to repent of their sins in a way that doesn't seek to steward their lives towards God. Mm -hmm. That really, in fact, seems to lift ourselves up. Uh, there's something about, uh, there's something about calling out someone else's wrong uh, yeah. that can elevate us or make us feel better. Right. Uh, and so if you have truly in your heart, 
the love for the other and a love for God, absolutely. Um, then you will do so in such a way that if somebody's offended, you can be absolutely sure, and others will too, that that offense doesn't come from your own heart, but it right. comes from work of the Spirit. Right. Another thing that can happen is we can become afraid that I can't ask anybody to do anything that I am not perfect at myself. Right. And, and to a degree, sure. But the what you need to call people to is is not say that I am free from sin, therefore I can preach that people should repent of sin, but I am on the journey. I know what it is. I have been to the place and continually go there where I repent of my sin. Yeah. And therefore I am I have the ability through the Spirit to speak to sin. Yeah. Um, so, in, in my opinion, it comes down to the heart. What would we be afraid to it of it? Mm-hmm. Because uh, we we may feel like we're unequipped and unable to do that from a moral position. But you don't have to be right if your right. heart is to steward the other person towards the heart of God. Right. I think that's such a good word, Jim. Especially that latter that latter part. Um, yeah. Just yeah. We're all on this journey. It reminds me of Wesley right before the Aldersgate experience. When he comes back from Georgia, he's so despondent and I guess ready to hang it up. I don't know, the, the ministry, um, confused about a lot of things. And Peter, I think he's pronounced his name Burler or Boiler or whatever, um, but the, the Moravian uh, Peter Burler um, basically says to, uh, to Wesley, preach faith until you have faith, and when you have faith, preach faith. And I, I think that's true for us when when it comes to preaching repentance, too, is to just understand we're on this journey. So preach repentance and then yourself work in the work on repentance, like trust and lean on Christ, lean on the gospel for your own repentance as well. Uh, get in a band, get in a small group, help have people help lead you into that direction. But um, you were called to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So preach it and call people to repentance. It was the first sermon of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That should be, that should be true with us as well. All right. Well, some good stuff there. Prevenient grace, calls to repentance, what repentance is. Um, we're going to really d- dig down into even some more of this as we talk about justification and uh, talk about uh, regeneration and the new birth and all of that coming up in a future episode. Um, until then, we have any loose ends, guys? Anything else that y'all want to say? I guess not. So, <laughs> we'll have all the links in our show notes uh, to the TFOD and some other other resources for you. Uh, the Podakesis Podcast is a proud member of the Spirit and Truth Podcasting Network. Spirit and Truth is a movement of Wesleyan-minded Christians seeking to awaken and equip the 21st century church through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and make disciples of Christ. We long to see a new movement of Christians who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted in truth, and mobilized for the mission. For more information and resources, check out spiritandtruth.life and uh, they have some conferences coming up Um, by the time this one drops I'm sure that the January and the February conferences um, have already passed but um, there is a conference April 19th through 20th April 19th through 20th um, in Dayton, Ohio and you can find out more about these conferences at spiritandtruth.life backslash conferences Hit us up on social media, at Podakesis is where you can find us. You can leave us a voicemail that may actually get played on air, 404-635-6679. As always, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple iTunes, which helps us out greatly. And until next time, my friends, y'all have a great one, and God bless. Peace. Peace.